Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Got lots to get down to here on this Counterpoint, so let's bring in our guys. We got John Mraz, former liberal war room guy, and uh, Bill Hutchison, former journalist, now journalism professor over at Seneca. Hi, guys. Hi there. Hi, hi. All right, let's talk about the issue that uh, is the big talker for Ontario, certainly because there's a, a, an over um, overhaul on autism funding uh, in this province, and you know this is a group that was completely discarded by the last government, left to flounder on their own. The change is not perfect. It's going to take a long time, I think, to work out uh, the kinks. But I think what it does signal is the direction that Ford is moving, which is a cut out the middleman and give parents more choice. And I think this is a good move. But uh, a lot of people are saying that the funding for this, 140000 simply does not go far enough. Do you think the government, instead of giving a maximum per child, should have said, we will look at the need of the child? Some kids might Absolutely. need less? Absolutely. Absolutely. This program creates the illusion of equality, but it doesn't provide equity. Look, I'm a type 1 diabetic. My husband's type 2. It makes no sense to give us both the same dose of insulin. So my concern is that this is actually going to be an irresponsible use of taxpayer dollars in that it's going to give for children at the severe end of the spectrum not nearly enough, but there's also a risk that for children at the mild end of the spectrum, it may be too much. I'll start with you on this, Bill. Um, You know, the bottom line is it's never going to be enough because it's been ignored for so long. Almost two decades, nothing was done for these people. But this also, this announcement does not include, and I think it's important to point out to people, that education and health are two different ministries, and they're also stepping in to offer different types of support, whether it's classroom supports and, you know, educational you know, situation and health, whether it's um, getting kind of supports in. So there's still more to come. This is a starting point. It is a starting point, and it's far better than what the previous government did. If you recall, in the spring of 2016, there were protests on the, the lawn of Queen's Park by parents of autistic children saying that they're being abandoned by the government. The government finally turned around and said, okay, we'll give some more money. But they didn't actually improve the situation at all because there are still just as many kids on a waiting list for, for help. This will actually allow them to move forward to get them. They're going to increase the, the diagnosis process of the money for diagnosis so that the kids will be diagnosed earlier. So hopefully this will help them. Yeah, it's never going to be perfect, but the government has made a vast improvement over what the previous uh, government did. Well, that they're even acknowledging it and getting something moving to me is at least a win. And certainly, John, I'd like to see a lot more done because I think I think this group of people have been treated so terribly over the last couple of decades. But the bottom line is, um, you know, you have to have a starting point. You have to have a starting point. And 23,000 kids languishing on a list, you got to get them off the list and at least into a treatment to start. No debate here. I'm embarrassed this wasn't liberal policy. This would have been good liberal policy as opposed to some of the other social democratic policy that poses liberal policy over the last administration. The road to hell is paid with good intentions. And Doug's already, uh, you know, feet to the fire on this. This would be something that I would 1,000% support. Got lots of friends with kids who are now uh, emerging as autistic. Uh, I had questions just as we were talking before we went on air. The three of us were talking. I'd like to know why there seems to be a growing number of autistic kids, or maybe there isn't a we just didn't know before, but I'd like more information about that. I think this is going to be a tough puzzle to solve. Mm -hmm. Good for Doug Ford. I rarely get to say that. Glad to see it happen. Uh, And I think anybody giving this government a tough time about this, when there are 
reasonably good reasons to give Doug Ford a tough time about other things, uh, really should get their priorities straight. I think well, you've been well, saying good for Doug Ford just about every week since well, he's been elected. Well, you can kick the guy around. I mean, one of the staffers, a PC staffer, Bruce McIntosh, who is a, a fighter for autistic um, um, issues. I mean, this is a guy who's kind of taken front and center on this. I mean, he quit today saying it's the wrong-headed approach. But again... Nothing was done for two decades. I mean, I almost find it when people are like um, talking about the liberals coming out and where's the why aren't they talking about this? What can they say? They're the ones who caused such a massive hole to begin with. Well, let's say it is the wrong approach, but at least we have a conversation going now. There's money being out, and let's have a conversation about it. And let's listen to the experts, because Doug Ford is not an expert, and no one sitting in that collegial over there is an expert. So let's get this conversation going. But as you say, 20,000 kids waiting on a list to see their basic needs and their families' basic needs and dignity recognized in in a country and a province as rich as Ontario. All right. I'll spend that. Look, I mean, if if it weren't for Amy Fee, you know, the parliamentary assistant on this issue, I mean, I've gotten to know her over the years. She's got uh, Kenner, her one child who has autism, and now she's got a second child who's got autism. She's worked very diligently on this file. And if it weren't for her on this file, I probably might have a few more questions, but I'm willing to at least take a look at this. I think it's a good step forward. Yeah. All right, let's talk a little bit. Uh, this kind of came out late today. B'nai B'rith uh, issuing a uh, statement saying our investigation has revealed that uh, Martin Massey, who's a senior advisor to uh, the People's... What, what's uh, Maxime Bernier's party called? The People's, People's Party. People's Party's Choice? I don't know yeah. what the hell they're called. Um, <laughs> anyway, this top advisor um, was seen defending Nazi sympathizers, making misogynistic comments uh, about femi-fascists, and said Zionism, Zionism is a fancy justification for killing Palestinians. So they've got this whole report out on this guy. Maxime is not saying too much, but it would certainly, uh, John, explain the, the Twitter. Um, but again, he has to come out and fire this guy and denounce this. Well, first of all, I thought Mad Max's party was called Thunderdome <laughs> at this point. Number two, uh, I, I, I don't understand why conservatives or liberals or the NDP alike, whatever their electoral ambitions, uh, why they're giving Mad Max and his party any attention at all. I don't see any uh, any sort of populist surge behind Mad Max. Maxime Bernier, at one point, I worked around him on the Hill, struck me as a pretty sanguine, smart guy, way to the right of me on a lot of issues, but this was a guy who at least made common sense to me. If his judgment is so poor that he can't vet some of his top people, uh, kind of and basic. find out that they are anti-Semites. And by the way, I just did a little bit of typing when I found out what we might discuss on the air tonight. This guy has very openly <laughs> been taking positions. I mean, I wouldn't hire this guy to wash my car. I don't understand why Mad Max is doing. Uh, and I don't understand, unless he's betting on the anti-Semitic vote in well, Quebec. Well, certainly I hope it's not that high yet. But, you know, it's disappointing because I think a lot of people like Max. Look, if he doesn't come out and denounce this, I, I, it should. Anyone who's following him or, or you know, Bill uh, showing their support should be should be done with it. You can't accept I, this kind I of crap. I would think that, that uh, he will walk the plank. He, will be, uh, he won't be part of that party going forward. But it does illustrate just how much of a fringe party this is. And had it, if it were not Maxime Bernier leading it, no one would pay it any attention at all. At all. It only gets attention because he's the, the leader and people know who he is, and so he gets a certain amount of ink in, in the press. Uh, otherwise, it, you know, it, it's a fringe party, and it's just going to push itself further and further out to the extreme and, and become more and more irrelevant. Yeah, well, let's hope so. Um, let's talk a little bit about comments that... Uh, uh, jug me. What do I have time? Uh, no, I don't want to start that one yet. 
Do I want to start? No, we'll start on this one. I, I'll, I'll keep the drug meat single until the second segment because I don't have that much time. Uh, Mayor John Tory wants a review of snow removal operations following last week's storm. Now we've got today's. And look, had, had more cars been on the road today, I think the city would have been completely upside down. But why is it that departments of snow removal don't have a clue in 2019 how to do this? I mean, winter's not new here. I have to say, actually, after last week, my streets were cleared very quickly. The sidewalks were cleared very quickly. I'm glad we, for you we, in Etobicoke because we, they weren't done I'm here. Not, I'm up in Don Mills. <laughs> I'm up in Don Mills and Mel Lasman's old stopping grounds. But honestly, I thought they, they did a pretty good job. And I was out the very next day after the, the snowstorm and found it not bad uh, getting around. I, I you know it, it still wasn't completely cleared, but I was able to get uh, where I wanted to get, get to within a reasonable amount of time. And I just allowed a little extra time. I think people are expecting an awful lot. Uh, from our from our snow clearing, and I think oh, they, I they do get well, out there. I, I would like, I mean, I'd like them to show up once in three days. I mean, on our street, John, you know, I live across the street from a school, a children's school, so there's a lot of little kids, and I'm, I don't expect snow removal that second, but for four days, the streets and the sidewalk all around the school were completely, the kids were all in the street walking to school, and then the city did show up to shovel the walks, and they did everything but around the school. So the kids still had to walk. It was the weirdest thing. I was like, are you not going to do the sidewalk? It's probably a union issue. Well, <laughs> I asked the Who's school. Who's counselor? I'd be <laughs> screaming at the counselor. <laughs> I, said, I said to the guy who... I would be screaming at the counselor and saying, what is going on here? It was but, very bizarre. I, I'm going to sound like an old Monty Python skit, but when I was a kid growing up in Toronto, <laughs> know, we, we walked through three feet of snow barefoot. in cardboard shoes. Uphill barefoot, both ways. Uphill both ways. But what I think the city is become a little more used to, for whatever reasons, we don't have to get into a climate debate. Is there's, been a, do with climate. there's been a lot less snow over the last few years, and when mm-hmm. snow does arrive, We're I actually think, like them. you, that they do an excellent job. I think the problem is not the snow removal people. I think it's the people who don't know how to drive in the snow anymore, who don't know how to move around, who think that weather is a reason for immobility or bad decision-making. That my, my issue is much more with the commuters and the drivers than it is with And the, the people fine parking, people. parking on the street, blocking... Darn parkers. Right, because you can't ever get... You because can't get they the don't snow clear, You can't get you the snow around. But you can't get in your parking because they haven't cleared the streets. But those bike lanes are clear But the bike lanes the are clear. <laughs> that is true. I got to be honest. They are, the bike lanes are as clean as can be. And that's, that's where well, I think that's I have so the cool. issue. Well, that's can get around. They plowed our sidewalks twice in, in two days. Well, uh, then, uh, well, that's great for your seniors, but the seniors in Toronto... My so, yeah, I might, I might want to. The seniors on earth were uh, walking in the ditches here on Point. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head with Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. We got Counterpoint going at John Raz and Bill Hutchison uh, chatting things out. Um, the NDP, oh, <laughs> I, they've changed their position on Venezuela more than um, Trudeau changes his Indian costumes, but. Uh, they were against the government support of the opposition leader. Then this morning they said they supported, and then this afternoon Jagmeet Singh flipped back and says they don't support it. He is a total disaster. The party's a total disaster. But here was what I mean. He was asked a pretty basic question about Venezuela, um, you know, and and here's what he answered. Who's the president of Venezuela? <laughs> or whoever the people of Venezuela decide. Uh-huh. So you're not taking a position. I'm taking the position that the people of Venezuela have a sovereign right to make that decision, and it's our job to support the people of Venezuela in making that decision. Okay, so Wido has declared himself as the president. Uh, do you recognize that? Again, I mean, I've already answered. I, I believe very strongly that the people of Venezuela have the right to make that decision, and our job as the international community is to support that, that right and that ability to have free and fair democratic elections. So how will you know when they've made that decision? Another election? The people will decide. 
Yeah, no, Mr. Singh, they, they can't just they can't decide. John, you can't possibly be as that, that stupid and, and think that you can run a country. Like, honestly, like that he doesn't understand. It's not a democracy. First of all, I don't think he's delusional enough to think he's ever going to run this country. Second of all, uh, I, I, I mean, the people, I mean, uh, full disclosure, I worked for an international political consulting firm. We ran an observer uh, effort in Venezuela two, three elections back. We were kicked out three days before the election by the Chavevistas, by Chavez's people, Maduro's. Uh, the, Maduro is the inheritor of that in state. There hasn't been a free and fair election in Venezuela for a very long time. And by the way, I will be, uh, I'll be fair about this. The other side in Venezuela are not known for their attachment and representation to free and fair elections either. Venezuela has had a problem between uh, a fight between the right and the left. Now let's get back to Jugmeat weighing in. Clearly, uh, orders came in from wherever the Orwellian orders for the International Socialist Convention come from. And as we've noticed, uh, he is siding with Putin, who argues that he has been elected by free and fair elections in Russia, and the Chinese commentariat, who argue that they are elected or represent a democratic process in China. They are both su- supporting the socialist effort in Maduro. I think we now know where Jugmeat where, where his fealty and loyalties are internationally. People should vote for or against him on that basis and then ignore everything else he says. I, you know, I, I mean, the benefit, if he, you know, if, if he wins that by-election, gosh, it's going to be good for the liberals. Gosh, oh gosh, calling Tom Mulcair, calling Tom Mulcair, please save your party. Um, I, I have a problem with the premise of your question. I think the bar for the level of intelligence you need to run a country has been set considerably lower by mm-hmm. our current uh, our current leader. So uh, Jagmeet, uh, his, his answers are no worse than than the current leader of the country. Well, well I'll, give, I'll give the Trudeau government credit on this because they are on at least well, the right side go, of history no, on when you this. Go, but, when Trudeau goes off script, sure, his questions uh, are that, uninformed. But, his but, answers are quite uninformed. As for uh, Jagmeet Singh, uh, he obviously... Didn't want to come down on one side or the other. He didn't know what. But he doesn't even know his party's own position. Well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't have a position himself, and he doesn't know what his party has said. So, uh, yeah, he's just not. Not. I hate to say it. He's not ready for uh, prime time. He's not even ready for daytime. He's not even ready for romper room. (laughs) Then I didn't think the leader of the Liberals was ready for prime time either. I hate to remind y'all, but the leader of the Liberal Party, our current prime minister, as I remember, sidled up to Fidel Castro at his father's funeral, and also once expressed admiration for the way they could plan their political future in China. Chinese should actually give him some favors for that lately. I mean, come on. He, was, he was an erstwhile supporter. They've given him a nickname, the Little Potato. Mm-hmm. Oh, Frightened Little Bird, I believe. <laughs> no, it was a Little Potato. Um, a Gatineau politician stepped down uh, after saying, quote, it's normal to be scared of Muslims. This was uh, last Friday, I guess, Nathalie Lemieux applauded Quebec Fr- uh, Premier Francois Legault's uh, opposition to designating an anti-Islamophobia day in Quebec. Um, and she say, and, and says the sphere of Islam is a problem invented by Justin Trudeau's liberals. And I find it interesting because not only do the comments come after the second anniversary of that deadly attack on a mosque in Quebec, but given the prime minister's stance bill on this issue, do you not find it just a little odd, tongue in cheek, that he's not come out and, and, and said anything to Mr. Legault about this fear and division? He will as soon as the script is written for him. He will not I don't believe anything. I don't believe that to be true. I don't believe anybody wants to actually talk about Quebec's legacy. If, if Mr. Ford said that comment, it religious, would be it would be a there would be, be a television appearance seconds, in 20 yeah. seconds. Ethnic intolerance and the quietude from all three parties when it comes to elections. 
uh, in dealing with that. There is data that has been produced for years that Quebec has had a tougher time than other provinces and territories in the Confederation adjusting to the notion of multiculturalism. No, but, but that's not the point. Wow, that point. is point, really polite. I mean, the point being that there's no sincerity on this issue because the vote right. of Quebec is far more important than, than telling them that fear and division uh, will not be tolerated. You know, because, like I said, if any other premier, certainly Mr. Ford said a comment like that, it would be a an attack ad for the election. Absolutely right. Right. Okay. I'm not going to disagree with you. Fine. <laughs> Fine. Uh, Liam Neeson says he is no racist, and he says he was being honest about an event that happened decades ago, um, and that he was simply, you know, being honest. He learned from the experience. He didn't make up excuses, justifications that it happened. Um, here is what he had said, I guess, this morning uh, when he talked about this on Good Morning America. And after that, there were some nights I went out deliberately into black areas in this city looking to be set upon so that I could unleash physical violence. And I did it for, I'd say maybe four or five times until I caught myself on. And it really shocked me, this primal urge I had. It shocked me and it hurt me. I did seek help. Uh, I went to a priest, I heard my confession, I'm, I was reared a Catholic. I had two very, very good friends that I talked to. All right, so he's not apologizing and he says, I'm not a racist. And John, I don't think he is a racist, frankly. I think he was a moment of honesty and he did not uh, make up any excuses for what he said. Um, it happened 40 years ago and he's saying this is a teachable moment, is it not? It reminds me of a great old Dave Allen joke. The mascus says to the sadist, hit me. The sadist says, no. And, and, and I think metaphorically, both at the time and now, Liam Neeson is doing this. I actually uh, applaud him. I know I'm going to get in trouble for this on my little limited me. Twitter feed. Uh, I actually applaud how transparent he's been. I understand his logic as flawed as it was at the time and as deluded and sophomoric time, and immature. Now it would be immature under any circumstances sure. to do that. And then he's running around playing the martyr in you know neighborhoods. You know, and looking at the world in those tones. It's a different time, it's a different place, but at least he's not lying about it. And, I, and I'm and i not sure that he should be castigated or crucified uh, when so many other people, let's go to Virginia, yeah. are twisting and spinning in the wind. Sure, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Liam Neeson, all right, seems like you've grown up. How is this an issue? I'm not sure going and kicking the story on um, Good Morning America or wherever he was was, well, was in his favor. Well, it's he not, but here's, here's a guy, here's a guy who has more money than God. He doesn't have to even go on any show. And by the way, he could have hidden behind his publicist on this thing sure to make it go away. And you know what? That he hasn't, and, and Bill, that we haven't heard any kind of thing like this in the 50 years he's been in public light, you know, like... I, you know, I don't think it's fair to call him racist. He went out looking looking to get into a fight. He actually didn't get into a fight right. and then caught himself and he went to his priest and he confessed and he realized it was wrong and he's coming out and saying, mea culpa, it was, I should never have done that. To be a cynic, uh, which I, occasionally I'm accused of being, he is promoting a film where he is a vigilante. So perhaps he was trying to show that this can be in, you know, Well, anyone, he was asked, how did anyone. you get into that character? Yeah. The movie's about revenge killing. So, and he said... This is yeah. This my is an incident that happened. Right. He, he volunteered the information. He he admitted that it was wrong. I, I don't see why he should be criticized for it at this point. It was a, a moment of rage in his in his life when he was young. And and I'm I, taking a look in his face. I have a feeling he's been in a few fights uh, before that. So um, 
you know, I, I think that, that that's sort of a natural instinct for him, that kind of anger when he was young, uh, to go out there and want to want to hit somebody because uh, his his friend had been raped and, and he wanted to, you know, seek out vengeance. Which but apparently we cannot talk thing. about these anything. I mean, we cannot talk about it. Well, then, then we well, sure, we've we got to no, talk, talk about it because you're, nope, you're, you're a racist. If a, you're a racist, if a fellow can't come out and say, I did this, it was wrong, and I admit it was wrong, and I hope people will learn from this, that it was wrong, well, which I, is what he's doing. That, yeah. It's called a teachable moment. Yeah. I guess those are wrong, too. All right, guys, i got to leave it there. I'm Alex Pearson. This is Global News Radio. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.